Hey, it's Alice. Before you jump into this episode, I want to tell you about this week's partner. One of the biggest mistakes we can make when it comes to marketing is not analyzing the metrics. Podcast downloads, website traffic, social engagement, these numbers can tell us something about what is and isn't working, but we so rarely listen to them. That's why this year I've made a habit of sitting down each month to analyze and learn from my metrics. It's already helping me to tweak my strategy in order to meet my goals. And I've found a really great tool to help with this, Metrical. Metrical makes it easy to analyze, manage, and improve your content across all of your platforms. My favorite is their analytics tool because all of the numbers are right in front of you to look at and most importantly, learn from. They also have a content planner, inbox manager, and hashtag tracker. So Metrical really can be your one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. I only partner with brands who I genuinely believe will bring value to our lives as business owners, and this one is no different. So if you're ready to manage your marketing with intention, head to the link in the show notes and start using Metrical for free today. Now back to the episode. I was age 14 and I had this little business painting signs. I was an elf. She can let that sink in for a moment. I do not know how my 15 year old self had this much audacity, but at the end of my first shift, I went up to this manager and I said to him, I don't think this is very organized. Both my brothers had gone to university. That was kind of the path that I think a lot of people thought I was going on. Understandably to adults, it was a very risky decision. He emailed me two weeks later and said, I run a charity would you like a freelance job in our events team? I don't know what freelance means, but that word sounds fun. At that point was like mind blowing money to me, to being fully booked out. In fact, more than fully booked out. I don't think I even knew what my capacity was. I genuinely thought I was the only 17 year old business owner, which looking back is so arrogant. I completely burned out. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to I've just realised I don't know the episode number that this is going to be. I mean, why we all just have to do that afterwards? Oh, no, I do know what the episode number is. 182. Okay. Because it's going out next week. Oh, beautiful. You're listening to episode number 182 of Starting the Conversation. I'm your host, Alice Benham. The person that you've just heard is my brilliant producer, Em, who's not meant to be in this episode, but is sat with a mic. So Hello. Nice to meet the podcast. <laughs> not actually your official introduction. No, but not really, but here we are. She's here now. Um, this episode is going to be talking a little bit more about my story into business. Now, I have told a lot of people's stories over the last four years and 181 episodes, but I realise that I've never told my own. I think that's partially because to yourself, your story is really dull. And also just because it feels a little bit narcissistic to do so. But it was actually a couple of weeks ago, I was in my office space and I was having a chat to someone whilst I was grabbing some free biscuits. What up? Um, And they were asking a bit more about my story. And as I was talking about it, I was like, oh, this is like mildly interesting. Like they actually seem to be not faking interest here. Maybe this might be a valuable thing to share. So to practice what I preach in sharing that others' story is interesting, I thought maybe I'd share my own. Very wordy intro, but... Yeah, hopefully you'll take something from this, even if it's just finding it relatable, realizing that you're not alone or finding it maybe a little bit inspirational or helpful. Who knows? Maybe listen to this episode whilst you're like doing some menial task in your business and you just need somewhat distracting. I guess the place to begin is my first ever job or job, I think is a, a 
a loose term uh, we're going to use for this phrase because it was technically my first kind of step into the entrepreneurial space. I was age 14 and I had this little business painting signs. It was the lamest thing, but I absolutely loved it. I had learned from a family friend how to make shabby chic furniture. You know that trend, which I don't want to offend anyone if it's still a trend that people love. But don't think it is. No, <laughs> where you would buy furniture and paint it white and then like sand some of the paint off and then sell it on and everyone would fill their houses with it. Well, I got taught how to shabby chic things. Um, so I would shabby chic people's furniture uh, and I would also make these wooden signs. And they were the best way to describe them. Um, just the live, laugh, love era in signs. You know, they were saying laugh often, you know, in this house we do, um, you got this, you do you, you know, family, like anything a middle-aged woman wanted on a white sign, I'd be making it. And I absolutely loved it. I would do this furniture painting and make these signs. I would sell things on Etsy, on Facebook. I did a couple of conferences and events. I felt like a little bit of an entrepreneur. Now, I will say, I don't think I made a huge amount of profit. I'm pretty sure my dad gave me some money to spend in B&Q on like the spray paints and everything. And one day after one conference, I paid him back his first investment. And it felt like a very full circle satisfying moment. In fact, I think there's probably a photo somewhere where I can't remember it now. I was holding up like a wad of 10 pound notes and it was a picture of me handing them to my dad. And my brother took it and I was like, take this photo because I want to remember when I paid my dad back. I don't think it was too profitable past the point of paying back the initial investment my dad made, but it was very fulfilling. And I think showed me as a 14, 15 year old, how much I enjoyed being creative, kind of working, I guess in a sense. definitely wasn't a proper job, like I said, but my first kind of step into the world of work was at that age. And then my first kind of actual proper job employed, which continues to be the only job I've ever had, (laughs) is ironically... I mean, not ironically, that's the wrong phrase, isn't it? It's weirdly. Yeah. It was weird. I was an elf. (laughs) You can let that sink in for a moment. You heard me right. I was an elf. Um, I was walking around our local garden centre. I think I was 15 at the time. And I saw a sign up that said, looking for elves. And I thought, I could be an elf. Like, that sounds sounds something that I could do. And I think I'd known a couple of friends that had done it previously. It was kind of quite a thing in my hometown, like this garden centre always hired elves. It was pretty easy to get hired. Pretty sure the application process was I gave in my CV, which I'm not sure said anything on it at that age. I mean, I was 15, but I went into the garden centre, chatted to the manager, who is the only manager I've ever had and continues to be genuinely one of my biggest inspirations in what I do now. I won't name him because I We'll need to check with him if that's something he feels comfortable with. But he was amazing. Like I said, not a big application process, but I got the job as an elf. Congrats to me. And I had my first day working as an elf in the November of, I believe, around 2014. So I was 15 at the time. When I say I was an elf, I'm not just talking about like a shed in a garden centre with like one Father Christmas in it. Like this was a Christmas extravaganza. There were like 40 elves working a day. There were live reindeer. Side note, I now think that was slightly unethical, but 15 year old me didn't understand animal rights, just thought it was cool that we had reindeer there, but that's not the conversation. Um, There was, and close your children's ears if they're listening to this, multiple Father Christmases running at once. Like it was a thing. It was this whole experience. Thousands of people came through it every single day. And after my first shift as an elf, I was like, this ain't organized. 
this is not working well. This is inefficient. No one knows what they're doing. Everything's all over the place. They were still like printing off all of the people's names at the start of every day. And I was like, this could be better. I do not know how my 15 year old self had this much audacity. But at the end of my first shift, I went up to this manager and I said to him, insert manager's name, I don't think this is very organized. I was like, here are the things that I think are wrong. And I just think you could do it better. And being maybe a trusting, maybe a, you know, out of his mind and probably just looking to hand it on and get this little kid out of his face person that he was, he said to me, well, why don't you help? And at that age, and I probably am still like this in a lot of ways, I was like any opportunity to do something, I'm there, I'm front of the line, I'll put my hand up. And so at the age of 15, I became the events assistant of this Christmas grotto. I spent the next six weeks leaving school as early as I could, working long days at the weekends and helping to run this grotto. So I was making staff rotors. I was doing payroll for all of these elves. I was sorting out like customer service complaints. Like it was way too big of a role for a 15 year old, but I absolutely loved it. It was a proper thrown in the deep end situation. And in the same way that making those shabby chic signs showed me that I really loved being creative. I think this really showed me that I loved being challenged and I loved just kind of doing stuff. I was a bit of a nerd at school. I enjoyed school, but I always found it frustrating because it felt like I would learn a lesson in one room and then six months later, repeat that lesson in an exam room. And it never really felt very tangible. And I'm someone who likes doing and I like progress and I like to feel proud of something. And school never quite gave me that feeling. It was by being that events assistant that I was then given the opportunity to leave school because big boss man, who was fantastic, rang me up a couple of months later and said, well, look, do you want to become our events manager? Like he'd obviously seen something in me that he liked that he thought would be of benefit to the company and I believe this was after another year of me being an events assistant I'm just trying to are you anyone else really bad at timelines oh so bad I'm just like it's so all, bad. all mixed up to me but age 16 um so yeah must have been the next year he rang me up and said would you like a full-time job here you know we want to get you running these events because I was making his life a lot easier by doing it for him and also I should note these events were very profitable for the business in terms of how many people they brought into the center so he offered me this full-time job I believe the salary was 20,000 pounds and as a 16 year old I was like I've just hit the jackpot like this is amazing I'm not enjoying school I want money, I want impact, I want challenge. I know that I love this job. It was a no brainer to me. So I decided at 16, I'm leaving school, I'm out of here. So that was step one was my decision, but obviously step two was convincing everyone else around me that that was a good idea. My family are incredible. I talk a lot on this podcast about how my parents are very supportive, but understandably they had their concerns. You know, I was one year away, I think, from finishing my A-levels. So I was, you know, 12 months 12 months longer and I would have kind of finished school well. Both my brothers had gone to university. That was kind of the path that I think a lot of people thought I was going on. And understandably to adults, it was a very risky decision, or at least to them, it looked risky. I mean, I think looking back, if it hadn't have worked out, worst case scenarios, I would have just had to redo a year of school, like what's a year. But I can understand why people were a bit hesitant. But in the end, the school and my parents agreed that I could do it. In fact, I remember the kind of final chance my parents gave me to change my mind is they sent my brother, my older brother, out on a walk with me. And I just thought this was a lovely walk with my brother. I was like, oh my gosh, so nice that he wants to spend time with me. Like he's five years older. So I was like, so great that he wants to hang out with a little sis. Uh, And then very quickly the walk turned into, what are you doing? This is a bad idea. And I was like, damn it, they've coerced you. 
you're a spy. <laughs> They've got you in. But actually, I think by the end of that dog walk with him, I'd convinced him it was a good idea. And I was like, we got this, guys. Honestly, we've got everyone on board. So I left school age 16. And in order to leave school, I had to be doing an apprenticeship because it's illegal in the UK to leave school early. So I got started on an apprenticeship in accountancy alongside doing this events management job made no sense but I'm technically a qualified accountant so that's I'll a hit you up for my tax needs please the irony is I hire an accountant Love so that. I'm obviously not very good at it <laughs> just shows you can have the paper but none of the skill set people um but yeah I did an apprenticeship in order to have that job and I spent about I think it was around 10 months in the end, working full-time at this garden centre. I was doing events management, but obviously it wasn't Christmas all of the time. So I was also doing like administrative assistance and kind of just bits and bobs around the place. And I loved it. It was so much fun, kind of being out of the school environment, connecting with people, making money. I feel like I'm not money oriented, but I think when you're 16 and you've suddenly got money, it's like, this is an amazing tool. Like all of the things I can now do. The world had felt like it had opened up to me, but, and this is a theme that repeats throughout my story. I got bored. I was about 10 months in, as I said, loved the Christmas stuff, but all of the other stuff, like I don't want to sit at a desk and, you know, type out purchase orders for garden furniture. Like I was selling barbecues sometimes at the weekend and that just wasn't of interest to me. So I started looking for another job and it's so weird how it all connects because I was driving home from a job interview. It was a job up in Bradford of all places um, that I'd applied to on the whim. And it was a job in a charity and I was really excited about it. And I was driving back from that job interview when I received an email. And the person that I received an email from, I had met at a hotel breakfast a few weeks prior. Now it sounds really creepy, but it's not. I was at a hotel breakfast, I think with my dad. And this guy started chatting to me like a, I say older man, that makes it sound like he was hitting on me. Wasn't being groomed. He was just like an adult man. Started chatting to me, asked what I did. I said, I work in events management. I really want to work in events. I obviously probably came across as the like incredibly enthusiastic and like, I will work really hard for anyone person that I was at the time. Um, and he'd obviously seen something in me because he emailed me two weeks later and said, I run a charity. Would you like a freelance job in our events team? And obviously I was like, absolutely. Like I want to work in events. I don't know what freelance means, but that word sounds fun. Uh, you know, it's a new opportunity. It's something different. So I said, yes, I left my full-time job that I'd left school for, the consistent pay, the full-time work um, for a freelance job, which from memory was paying me 150 pounds a day for one day a week. So it was in a kind of another moment that didn't make a ton of sense. Like I'd taken the risk to leave school for a job that had paid off. Everyone was kind of like, okay, she seems to be doing okay. But then I was like, well, this isn't enough. Let's go to the next level. And I'm going to do something a little bit more risky. Now, I only say risky in hindsight, because honestly, at the time, at both of those moments, both when I left school and when I left that job, I just didn't see it as a risk. And honestly, I, I don't now because I was so young. There was basically nothing to lose, but it felt like everything to gain. And I was so excited by the potential that all of the effort and the pain and the potential of what could go wrong of reaching that potential just didn't feel relevant to me. So in the same way that when I left school, the blinkers were on and I was like, I'm off, the same thing happened again. So I said yes to this freelance job and then two things happened. 
the first thing that happened was I realized what freelance meant. <laughs> no one had told me that. I didn't know that freelance meant being self-employed. So that was a fun realization. But again, I was like, cool, I'm a business owner. I'm 17. This is really fun. And the second thing I realized was that the events job wasn't ready and they wanted me to join their social media team in the interim. So at age 17, I stepped into the world of business as a freelance social media manager completely accidentally. Didn't mean to become freelance, didn't mean to be a social media manager, but I'm guessing they were just like, she's 17, I guess she knows how to use Instagram. Let's put her in the social media team. So my title at this charity was interim social media manager. It's kind of like hazy in my head, I think, because it was such a crazy time. But in short, within about a couple of months, I had gone from having this one client one day a week on 150 pounds a day, which at that point was like mind blowing money to me, um, to being fully booked out. In fact, more than fully booked out. I don't think I even knew what my capacity was, which is part of the problem, but working with a full set of social media management clients and basically just running this legit established business. Now I say legit established and all I mean by that is I was very busy and I was making money. Despite stepping into business so accidentally, the first year of growth was crazy. I credit that to a few things. I think something I really have to acknowledge is privilege, luck, being in the right place at the right time. Like, you know, that person that I'd met at a hotel breakfast was because they knew my dad. So immediately or like, you know, that's not something that I did for myself. You know, a lot of it was network based, just kind of knowing, I, I, I don't want to say knowing the right people because I didn't even know that I was networking, but just knowing people and also obviously having the privilege to be able to take all of these risks and still live at home and kind of just see what would happen. But of course, once I got those opportunities, I think what then helped is that I was the most naive, optimistic, hardworking 17 year old. I'm not going to say ever because I've not done a survey of all 17 year olds ever, but I was all of those things in abundance. I just threw myself at every opportunity that came my way. I was so passionate about doing the best job that I could for these companies. And now I understand business better. I'm like, well, of course it snowballed because I was meeting people, I was proving myself and I was basically willing to do whatever people wanted me to do. So I was helping tons of different companies with their social media. I was creating content for them. I was kind of managing campaigns. I was Googling things under the table because I had no clue what SEO meant or what a marketing strategy was, but I threw myself into it and I absolutely loved it. It was full on, but I was traveling up and down the country. As I said, I was making money. I was like, this is crazy. But as you might be able to feel where this is going, it wasn't sustainable. I was working, I don't even want to think, like I work a lot of hours now, but back then it was just on another level. And it wasn't just that I was working so many hours, but it was also that the work I was doing, the people I was working with, the way I was working, all of that was off as well. It was such an accidental business that it in no way worked for me. There were a lot of things I loved about it, but there were a lot of things that didn't work. And one of the biggest things that I think led to me burning out about nine months months into this business is that I was completely isolated. I genuinely thought I was the only 17 year old business owner, which looking back is so arrogant because as soon as I met other business owners, I was like, oh, there's loads of us doing this. But that wasn't a negative to me. That was really exciting because up until that point, I was really isolated. So I didn't know there was a better way to be doing things. I didn't know that you know, it was possible not to work crazy hours. I just thought that was the way it had to be when you ran a business and when you're an adult. And I didn't have anyone there to kind of help and encourage me. So, you know, as much as my family and friends could probably see that I was on the route to burnout, 
I think they just thought, well, she's she's doing stuff. She's got clients, she's making money. Like, go on, proud of you, off you go. When in reality, internally and behind the scenes, it was incredibly unsustainable. So at the start of 2017, so I was 18, 19 at the time, as I said, about nine months into this business. I don't even want to call it a business because it just felt like the most accidental thing ever, but it was a business looking back, even if it wasn't an intentional one, um, I completely burned out. It was in the February of that year. I remember getting on a plane and for the first time in nine months being completely disconnected. I wasn't able to work. I wasn't on my laptop. I wasn't, you know, doing work. And I just felt numb. You know, I didn't have the language for it at the time, but now looking back, I was just realizing that I had completely lost myself. I felt empty. I felt unfulfilled. I felt really just kind of lost. And whilst, as I said, I didn't have the language for at the time, I knew that something was off and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to return to work when I came back. So I spent that week away kind of coming to terms with how I was feeling. And as I said, I didn't know what was going on, but I knew something was wrong. And when I got back from that trip, I emailed all of my clients and I said, I need to stop working for you from today. Now I have to like not let myself overthink about that decision because there's so many things I could have, should have, would have done differently, right? To avoid that and to not have let those clients down. But I had to learn the lesson that way. And I just knew I can't carry on like this. So I burned out and I basically spent the first six months of that year just finding myself again. I know that sounds so like woo and fluffy, but I'd completely lost myself. Like I had pretty much lost all my friends. I didn't have any hobbies. I was just working all of the time, but even the work I was doing wasn't fulfilling. I was just chasing more and more and more. And as soon as I got off the treadmill and kind of came to terms with everything, I realized we really need to sort this out. So I spent a good few months just in bed. I went to therapy. I got on medication. I was diagnosed with depression. And after a few months, I kind of felt normal again or me at least, I felt able to kind of start rebuilding. And then I began seeing friends again, you know, picking up some hobbies, traveling, and really just tried to find my center and kind of get back to a place where I was ready to re-enter some kind of work. Now, anyone who's burned out or kind of gone through a season of feeling really hurt by your business might resonate with this. For a long time, I thought I'm not going to go back into business. Like that was awful. <laughs> Those nine months, although I loved them at the time, they obviously weren't good for me. Like I don't want to go through this again. And I just thought, well, if that's what business is like, I'm not doing it. But as I began to feel better and kind of connect more to myself, I realized I did want to step back into that world. It wasn't that business was inherently bad for me. It was just the way I was doing it was bad. After kind of thinking about those first nine months of business and what that was like, I realized there were so many things I loved. I loved marketing. I loved storytelling. I loved the autonomy of running a business. I loved the flexibility. I loved the people. I didn't love the way I was doing it. I didn't like being a social media manager. I didn't like the kind of clients I was working with. I didn't like the way that I was running my business. So I had this moment around September of 2017 of revisiting the business, but with intention. I'd kind of understood based off of that burnout, what was important to me. And I, I don't know if it's like started a new business, restarted the business, started a new direction. I don't know but had a big old nudge in a different direction and kind of stepped back into the world of business with all of those lessons in tow. So at that point, around the end of 2017, I stepped back into business as I think I called myself at the time like a digital marketing consultant. That end word has changed a lot over the 
years, consultant, coach, strategist, mentor, whatever you want, but the title doesn't matter. I was helping people with their digital marketing because that's what I'd loved from the first nine months, but not doing it for them. I realized that it was way more impactful and sustainable and scalable to help them do it themselves. So I thought, right, I'm going to work one one-to-one with clients as a consultant. And that I'd say is the start of the business that I really have today. I definitely didn't step back into it with like complete clarity, but I knew that much that that was going to be my job title. And then throughout 2018, I really kind of formed what it was that I wanted the business to be. When I first stepped back into work after that burnout, I was actually still working with some of those kind of corporate bigger clients. And it took making that mistake the second time around to be like, no, no, we definitely don't want to do this kind of client work. And it was also when I discovered the small business community that I realized I want to work with small business owners. Like these people are incredible. This is what I want to be doing. So kind of start of 2018, I was kind of beginning to realize, okay, this is where I want to be at. And then I'd say the whole of 2018 was really just finding my feet. The growth of this phase of business was so wildly different to that first year. That first year, it was quick growth, but let me clarify, it was also unsustainable and unfulfilling growth. And whilst I don't think sustainable or fulfilling growth necessarily has to take longer, for me, that was the case. I was, you know, narrowing the people that I would potentially work with. I was completely rebuilding kind of what I was known for and what I could help people with. And it took time. I didn't get my first paying client as a digital marketing consultant, coach, mentor, whatever you want to call it, until I think it was the August of 2018. So that's about nine, 10 months after calling myself that, that I actually got someone to pay me for that specific service. And I'm not going to lie to you, like those nine months were hard because I was comparing that growth to that first year of growth that I had. I was thinking, what am I doing wrong? You know, as much as I love now being in community with other business owners, I was seeing everyone else that was a consultant or a coach and comparing myself to them. And I think that period of kind of restarting really forced me to get clear on my foundations because when I first stepped back into business, I was, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't really know how I wanted to shop, what I wanted to be known for. And it really took time for me to kind of find my way of doing things. There's a really clear moment that stands out for me when I realized this, which was in the kind of spring summer of 2018, just before I think I signed that client. And and that I remember was a really pivotal turning point where I was on a beach in Wales and I just cried. I was like, I can't do this. This is too hard. I'm not gaining traction. You know, online people don't seem to care. I'm not getting the clients. The money's running out because I'd saved up some money from that first year of business that could only sustain me for so long. And I just had this moment of like, maybe I should quit. Like I've tried, I learned my lessons from burnout. I tried to apply them to another business, but it just doesn't seem to be working. And I remember in that moment, just talking to myself and going, right, we're gonna give it one last go. And the go that I'm gonna give it this time is my go. Like I am not gonna copy what the other coaches are doing on Instagram. I'm not gonna try and show up like that other person shows up. Like, let me just see how it works doing it my way. And that I think was the most kind of pivotal moment in getting my business to where it is today because that was when I really realized I care about doing things in a value-driven way. You know, I want to show up in a way that's really clear, actionable. I want my brand to be black and white. I don't want to be pink just because every other coach shows up with some pink color palette. At least that was the way in 2018. Everyone had a freaking pink color palette. No hate if that was you. Um, 
But I really realized on that beach as I was crying, like I need to try and do this my way. And I won't say it was overnight. You know, it wasn't like I woke up the next morning and like everything was better and everything started gaining traction. But I started to see the kind of fruits of my labor. That second try at business was so much more, I think, realistic because I sowed seeds and I had to water them and wait before I saw the results. That first year of business, it was all so instant. And that as a result was really unsustainable and, and wasn't actually right. Whereas this second try at business, you know, I was being so much more intentional about who I wanted to work with, what I wanted to do. And it took time to see those things come back to the business, but they did come back to the business. You know, a massive thing that helped in that year was having this podcast as a focus because it helped me to have something to do. Like, I'll be honest, Em, I don't know what I did all day back then. Like, I remember thinking I was busy and now I'm busy and I'm like, what was I doing all the time? But anyway, I had this podcast as a focus and I guess kept trusting that maybe it would work. I didn't have the evidence. I don't think you ever do when you're starting out in business, but I knew if I put enough action in, I'm going to get some kind of result. And again, privilege plays a role at the time, still living at home. So I had the capacity to kind of trust and wait and see what would happen. So yeah, after getting that first client, after kind of having that moment of clarity of I need to do things my way and I need to just give this a shot, I'd say that was when the business then really started to grow. And I guess that's then a whole nother story because since that point, I launched the retreat which was massive. I brought on my first team member. I launched a new business. I started a product. Like there's so many things that have happened past that point. But I think that year for me, 2018, really felt like the kind of, not necessarily the shiny stuff, not the leaving school, not the like being an alpha, blah, blah, blah. But the year that this business was really built because it was the toughest year. And I think the toughest things teach you the most lessons because it really forces you to dig deep, um, to get clarity, to kind of, trust yourself, build your relationship with yourself as a business owner, build your resilience. Um, and I think those things serve you as you then continue to grow, pivot, scale, whatever it is that you do next. So that's my story. <laughs> 2018 to now. That's much better than the first time we did it. So good job. <laughs> Context for people. I tried to record this episode before and it was basically just tailed off with me just rambling. It was which... like 45 minutes of just Alice talking to herself. And it, it didn't have much, didn't have much action as you would say. No. no. Was this one more Actionable. Way more actionable. Fantastic. Yeah, good job. So I guess to round off what has been a bit of a rambly, but hopefully somewhat interesting episode, I thought I might just share some of my kind of encouragements to my past self, because I know that for a lot of you listening, you will resonate with being in those early days, you know, where you're taking action, you don't know where it's going to lead, you're trusting something that you can't yet see the evidence for, you are struggling a lot of the time, doubting yourself. And yeah, everyone that you see that's run a business has been there. I think one of the worst things we can do for ourselves is assume that we're the only one. Whilst I know we all like think we're a bit special and we're the only one that experiences a certain problem. But actually, I think when you realize people have gone through that struggle before and they will go through that struggle after you, it's immediately feels so much less overwhelming because it's like, okay, this isn't a red flag. I remember feeling that way when I burnt out. I was like, oh, this means I'm a bad business owner and I should quit. And now I'm like, literally everyone has burned out in some way. Like it's if anything, just part of the process. So yeah, I guess the first thing I'd say is wherever you're at, you know, it's that cliche, isn't it? Like don't compare your chapter one to someone's chapter 20, but it's, it's a cliche because it's true. Like you do not help yourself when you assume that other people woke up with the businesses that they had. Like it took me, let me just quickly do the maths from 
starting first as a freelancer to getting the first paying client that was truly aligned with the business that I wanted to build about two to two and a half years. So two and a half years of going in the slightly the wrong direction, failing, learning a lesson, you know, hitting a brick wall, bouncing the other way, figuring something out, trying to come back to it with fresh energy and insight. That's how long it took for me. I'm not saying that's a roadmap. You know, if you're listening, don't worry. It might not take you that long. It might take you even longer. Little side note, there's no like right route. Um, But yeah, I guess I share that just to encourage you that your timeline is your timeline and however things grow and work for you is ultimately gonna end up being how it's meant to be for you. Um, And I think if I could go to my past self, I wouldn't tell her to change anything because as I said, all of those challenges, they teach you something, but I guess the main things I'd encourage her to think about or to feel is to first of all, tell people how you feel, let people in. I didn't. I was so isolated, even from friends and family. I didn't tell them that I was feeling a little bit stuck. I didn't tell them that I was like, oh, this isn't really working. And, you know, friends and family, especially, they can't always figure it out for you. But a problem shared, another nice cliche, genuinely is a problem halved. And I think it makes such a difference to just let someone else in. So tell people how you're feeling, build community around yourself, connect yourself with other business owners that get it. Those people are invaluable. And I guess in terms of action, like just keep trusting yourself and trusting the process. Like I think self-trust is the most valuable trait you can build as a business owner. And I say build because if you assume it's a given trait, you're going to go, oh, that's just not me. I'm just not good at, but it's a muscle. The more that you choose to trust yourself, the more that you see that self-trust being, you know, met by evidence that shows that you can do it, the easier it is to step into it in future. So choose to listen to that tiny, even if it feels really, really quiet voice in your head that says that you can do it and just keep taking small steps because they add up and as someone who is in a place that my 17 year old self could have never dreamed of like don't get me wrong I still got a lot of growth to go like we are only at the beginning now but to be here what six years on with the business that I have now it's so fulfilling it's so impactful it's profitable, it's sustainable, it's value-driven. Like those are things that my past self couldn't even dream was possible. So keep at it. Your future self will thank you. And I'm always cheering you on is what I'd like to leave this episode with. Hey, it's Alice. Before you go and action what you've learned in today's episode, I want to share a quick note about this week's partner. One of the biggest mistakes I see people making when it comes to marketing is not analyzing the statistics. The numbers, whether it be podcast downloads, website traffic, or likes on a post, are all telling you something about what is and isn't working in your strategy. It's invaluable data, but so often we don't listen to it. And I get it. I can easily forget to or feel too overwhelmed to look at my numbers, which is why I've made a monthly habit of sitting down to review my content. It's already made me better at showing up for my goals and I found a great tool for it which makes this an easy task, Metrical. By bringing all your platforms into one place, Metrical makes it easy to analyze, manage and improve your content. My favorite is their analytics tool because you don't have to go searching for the numbers. They're all in front of you to look at and most importantly, learn from. They also have a content planner, inbox manager and hashtag tracker. So Metrical really can be a one-stop shop for all your marketing needs. I only partner with brands who are genuinely believe can bring value to our lives as business owners and this one is no different so to start managing your marketing with intention head to the link in the show notes and start using metrical for free today